As many of you guys know, we've been doing a series for the past four to five weeks called Why We Believe. This has been a series that's been built around um, this idea and this thought of why, why would you believe in Jesus? That's a question that I think should be welcomed at church. We're not ignorant in what we believe in. It's don't just believe it because someone told you. Don't just believe it because I told you. Um, doesn't make me a non-credible source, but what it means is that when it comes to your own faith, there's real questions that we all have. There's real doubts that we all have, and there's real things that we wrestle with. It doesn't disqualify us from a relationship with God or make God mad at us, but rather it's opportunity for us to grow deeper. And so having questions isn't the opposite of faith. Disbelief, saying that I'm going to believe what I believe and I'm going to leave no room for any other questions or interpretations beyond my comfort zone, that will lead to a dark place. But the truth of the matter is questions and diving into things are really helpful for solidifying a deep, mature faith. In the same way that so many of us in this room are growing maturity-wise, um, in adolescence, becoming adults, the same way you guys are growing in your faith as it's been maturing into an adult-like faith. And so we've already looked at some of the big questions like creation. We ask this question, you look out at the world and you say, was this randomly done? Or was there an author? Is there um, someone who made this? We ask this question, how do you know Jesus really is God? You, maybe you're someone that's like, well, I know there's a greater power out there, but how do I know that Jesus is that? And Jesus is really who he says he is, as Pastor Carissa walked us through that. Last week, we looked at spirituality. We looked at this idea where you look at the world around you and you go, is everything that's really happening around me just, it is what it is. There's nothing spiritual going on. It's all natural. It's all physical in front of us. And this week, I want to talk about probably the most common question that I get. I get two really common questions. One of them is, what happens to people who never get a chance to believe in Jesus when they die? That's a really common question. But the other one that I get that I want to talk about this morning is this one, which I am absolutely sure you have either thought about it or you have asked it. Or if you hear this question, you go, oh, that's a good one. If God is real, then why is there suffering and why is there evil? It's a real question people want an answer to, but it's not just this question that's put on paper that people have, but it's a really personal question, actually, that... Everyone who asks this question, more times than not, ask it out of their own experiences that they've had. And I can tell you that that's a question that I, I've asked myself, not because I want to know the right answer on paper, but because of things that I've experienced. Maybe it's things that you've seen people around you experience. I can, I can tell you countless times where I've sat with you know, students who've looked at me through tears saying things like, well, if God was real, then why did my parent have to die? Well, if God is real, why did my parents get divorced? Well, if God is real, why did this happen to my sibling? Why is he using drugs? Well, if God is real, why does it seem like my whole world is falling apart? Well, if God is real, why did this person say this to me? It's a real thing. Well, if God is real, then why am I going through this physical ailment and not being healed instantaneously on the spot? So I want you guys to know that before we talk about this, this is not just a philosophy. This isn't just information, but this is real personal stuff that we all experience. Amen? Everyone can think of things in your life. Hey, maybe you're in here 
And you're someone who refuses to believe in God because of something that's happening in your life. We understand. We've been there. And so as we dive into this, I want us to just understand that um, as we talk about it, that this isn't just someone who is standing in a bubble or church doesn't just live in a bubble that's void of all suffering and says, well, you just need to do this and this and this. No, we suffer just as much as anyone. And we understand what you're going through as we go through this question. Does that sound good? Can I get an amen to you? Almost like an amen to you guys, but you got to get me an amen. So thanks, Micah. Um, Genesis 50, if you're in your Bibles. This is the story coming to the tail end of Joseph. Many of us have heard this story before. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, nice brothers, of course. Um, Joseph was someone who... Oh, wow. Chatty little bunch this morning. Uh, Joseph is someone, actually, when you look at his story, you know that he was sold into slavery by his brothers. He went to Egypt. He was in prison, and then God miraculously turned him around to be one of the most highest officials next to Pharaoh, was in charge of everything, got reacquainted with his brothers and with his family, and that's actually how the family of Israel got into Egypt in the first place. And as the family grew over hundreds of years, that's how Israel managed to find itself in a place where they needed to be delivered from Pharaoh centuries later. But something about Joseph's story that we don't often look at, this was a man of suffering, Joseph is one of the few people throughout the length of the entire Bible that we get a picture of, um, of someone. Also, Hayden, can you let that kid in back there? Thank you. Um, it's a picture of, uh, it's a picture, stay with me, guys. Thank you. It's a picture of what a life of suffering looks like and how do you handle that all together. So I just want to, I want to walk through this with you because I want you to put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a minute. If you were someone that was sold into slavery by your family, if you were someone that was away from your entire family your whole life, if you were someone who was falsely accused of sexual assault, like he was, and put into prison because of it, if you were made promises, hey guys, I'm going to, guys, can you just stay with me? Thank you. If there were false promises, that were made to you, that you thought people would follow through to get you out of a really difficult situation, and then ultimately they fell through, and so you felt betrayed. And then you felt like you'll never see your family again. In fact, Joseph actually named his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, after his suffering. One of them was, it's because God has caused me to forget the suffering of what happened in my past. How many of you would name your kids after suffering that you went through in your life? This is a man of a lot of suffering that went through in his own life. And now we find ourselves in the story where actually his dad has passed away. Um, All the brothers and Joseph have been living in Egypt for years. And the brothers have this thought about Joseph. They think for a minute, what if Joseph held a grudge against us his entire life just to please his dad? And now the minute that the dad got old and passed away, that he's going to take it out on him. Finally, he's going to get after them. He's going to make them pay for their sins. And that's where we find ourselves in the story. Verse 15, chapter 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father had passed away, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? 
So they sent word to Joseph. This is a brilliant idea. This is such a brother thing to do. So then they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. They're lying. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of God, your father. They're like, what if he holds a grudge? Oh, I know what I'll do. We'll send a fake letter from our dad who passed away saying that you have to forgive us. It's like, come on, boys, you know? And what Joseph, it says when their message came to him, Joseph wept because he, he saw right through it. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Can you say amen with me? Joseph's story and many stories throughout the Bible, actually, don't shy away from suffering. The Bible's filled with countless examples about suffering when you start from the very beginning with even Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. You look at Noah, you look at Moses, you go through the list, you look at Job, you look at all the kings, you look at David, all the way actually coming into a real kind of capstone of Jesus himself. In the Bible, he's actually called the man of suffering. Now, how would you like that nickname over your life? I know I want it. The man of suffering is actually something that would be used to describe Jesus and himself, that he was someone who bore suffering and bore our sufferings on himself. The Bible talks a lot about suffering, and it's something that we're all acquainted with by experience, if not by information. And to be very clear with us, this is where a lot of confusion happens. I just want to be clear what I'm talking about this morning with you guys. There are different types of suffering that happen in the world. This morning, if you want to put up that slide with the forum, the first one is discipline. You know that God uses certain situations in our lives to teach us, like a good father is what it would say. So if you're someone that's like, man, I really want to have this in my life. I don't get why God hasn't been giving it to me. What if God is using that situation to teach you how to be responsible before entrusting you with that? God does that a lot, whether that's with people, whether that's with friendships, whether that's with jobs, whether that's with marriage, all sorts of things that God develops and disciplines us according to his good. In fact, in the Bible, it's described as something as an act of love towards us. Consequences is another form of suffering. And so when we say to God, I don't want to follow you and I want to do this and then because we feel the weight of that sin, doesn't mean that God doesn't love us, but it does mean we have to bear the weight of that. I remember Pastor Randy was actually telling a story about one time where a mom and a son came up to him after a Sunday after church and just asked for prayer over the son because the son had committed a felony and he was going to jail the next day. He's going to go for a couple years. And so the Lord obviously forgave him of that and the Lord loves them, but does that mean that, okay, well then you don't have to go to jail? No, there's still consequences that you have to undergo, and that's another example of that. God doesn't want us to go through consequences. God doesn't want us to have to learn by consequences of our sins and not choosing him. Another one that's really interesting is Christian suffering. Did you know that when you believe in Jesus, you will be persecuted for your faith? That is something very clear throughout the Bible. That is something actually the Bible would say, don't be shocked like what the heck is happening before me because you stand for Jesus and because 
People may not agree with that or they may mistreat you because of that. In fact, the word says that you are blessed because of that. The last one, sin and evil, talking about just senseless evil that happens in the world. That's what I'm talking about this morning. Does everyone understand that? We can't get those confused. I'm talking about the last one on there. I'm talking about, well, why did this happen to my dad then if God is so real? I'm talking about senseless sin and evil that happens before us. And so one of the most interesting um, things about suffering is that oftentimes we get those mixed up. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where I've undergone suffering and I've blamed myself for it. I remember when I had my lung disorder in Colorado, I can remember months into my sickness praying to God saying, Lord, if I have done anything wrong, forgive me, expose it so I can make it right so I can be healed. But that's me thinking that I'm sick because of my own sin when really it's just a result of a broken world that's around me. Maybe you're someone that's in that same situation where you're going through something. Maybe it's a circumstance. Maybe it's something with your parents. And you're like, God, what can I do? What have I done? It's my fault that this has happened before us. And that's where a lot of hurt and brokenness, that's where a lot of people actually walk away from faith in that whole confusion that happens. And so it's important that we don't get those mixed up because senseless evil isn't just God punishing us. But there's a greater reason for that that I want to dive into. In fact, it's really interesting, speaking of that, there's a book in the Bible called Job. Can you say Job? Job. Um, Job is one of those books in the Bible. You know, there's some books in the Bible that are really easy to understand, really clear. You post it on your Insta, you know. But Job is not one of those books. In fact, a lot of people don't know what to do about this because it's a story of a man who is righteous before God and then goes, undergoes excruciating suffering. He loses the people around him. He loses his circumstances. He becomes one of the biggest rejects and no one knows why. And it says that a couple of his friends came into his life and the entire book is this, them kind of just exchanging emails you know, with one another. And they're talking about how, well, Job, clearly you did something wrong. Clearly it was because of you because of this. And Job says... I have done nothing wrong before the Lord. And it's the back and forth of this wrestling between does suffering happen because of people's own mistakes. And the book finally ends with God just revealing himself. God doesn't answer his questions as to why he's suffering. He just reveals that he's God and he's not. And what Job says, he says, I finally have found peace in all of this because I understand who you are in this and who I am. And he has peace and he moves on. And what it says is that his life became more blessed than it was ever before. But isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't come down and he goes, well, Job, let me give you the four reasons why this is all happening. He goes, okay, good. Now I have the information. Good. Now it all makes, no, he just says, I'm God. And you don't even need information to understand and get through your suffering. You just need me. See, it shows the very fact that suffering isn't just correlated to our sin. Amen? Amen? It's not. Suffering is something that's a part of our world in front of us, and it may be a hard truth for us to understand, but it is. When you go back, actually, if you want to know where suffering came from in the first place, many of us know the story of Adam and Eve and the creation of the world. Um, Where's Hayden? Speaking of Adam, can we welcome up Hayden? 
Now, I know it's bad luck. So, Hayden's going to be God. And he can stand under my umbrella. Ella, Ella, eh, eh, eh. It's raining. Ooh, Sorry. Didn't know God could dance so well. Um, so I want you to think about creation in this sense where, where, you know, what it says in the beginning is that, did you know that there are two times in the Bible where it talks about a world of no suffering? One, when God created the world and talks about the end times when uh, God comes back and makes everything right, are the two times when there's going to be absolutely no suffering or anything of that nature, which we'll talk about later. But when God created the heavens and the earth, his original plan was for none of us to suffer. So I want you to think about this covering being God. See, what the word says is that we only knew what was good. We did not know evil whatsoever. And so the equivalent of that, we were under God's covering. (laughs) Haha, get it? All right. So here we are in this perfect world Knowing only goodness, under God's covering, God is protecting us from all that is evil. And yet, humanity goes, ooh, look at all that out there. That looks so cool. I, wanna, I want that out there. And God says, no, you don't want that. And we say, well, I do. I really want to know what that's like. And so we step out of God's covering. But what it says is that when you, we stepped out of God's covering... We stepped into a world of evil that we couldn't handle ourselves. And it's one of the funny things about evil because how funny, and may I just even say, how hypocritical could it be of us sometimes when we say, oh, how could there be so much evil in the world? And then we turn around and sin. And we're like, oh, I like this. I don't want to give this up to God. Isn't that kind of the back and forth? of humanity because we go oh we hate sin i can't believe it's here in the world and then on the other hand it's like well we kind of like it so it's this weird dichotomy because we don't want to be under god's covering but we also can't protect ourselves and what happens is what the word says is that we stepped in and it's like there's a curse that's around us with sin and there's just brokenness that's affecting us brokenness that's around us you can put down the umbrella my Lord and my God. Um, but what ends up happening now is we find ourselves in this situation where we're open now to a cursed world. And so how many of you want to drive soon? Oh, yeah. Got to get your license. Hey, nudge your neighbor. Shh. See, here's one of the things that you're going to discover. This is a conversation that's going to happen with all of you, with your parents. Are you ready for this? This is a conversation. When it happens, boys, thank you. When this conversation happens years from now, some of you more than others, um, you're going to walk up to your parents and you go, Mom, Dad, can I drive the car to the beach? I want to drive it out of town. I want to go away for the weekend. And they're going to go, absolutely not. And you're going to go, Mom, Dad. You're going to go, I've been such a good driver. I never get into any accidents. I've gotten zero tickets whatsoever. I've always brought it back on time. And you know what they're going to say? This is what they say. They're going to go, it's not you that I'm worried about. It's the other drivers. And... 
the thing is, oh yeah, we just started a mob. <laughs> so, but I want you to think about that because safe driving, let me ask you something, isn't dependent on you all the time. It is dependent on you, but if someone else is a poor driver, they can still hurt you on the road. So let me ask you the question. We live in a broken world that's around us. We live in a world where there's sin, where there's hurt and there's pain. So even though you may be righteous, that doesn't mean that you're void of suffering or that someone couldn't hurt you. And I know for a lot of you guys, you're living in homes right now where people are actively hurting you by their own decisions. And so we live in this world. And so maybe the question that you have, have you ever thought about this before? Are you like, well, why would God allow that to happen, right? Can I ask that question? Did you guys hear me here in the middle? Um, Why did God allow that to happen then? Why did God let me suffer? Well, let me ask you a question. If I call Hayden up on the stage and I punch him across the face, first of all, I'm going to jail. But let me ask you something. Did God make me punch him? No, he didn't. What, was God supposed to stop me? So I'm like... (laughs) Ah, and like God like stops me and says, thou shalt not punch the high school pastor. So let me ask you a question. When someone hurts you in this life, do you turn to God and go, God, why did you do that to me? Is that really God that did that to you? Or is that just a result of the brokenness and the suffering around us? See, I think it's really difficult for us to accept the fact that we live in a world that's broken and with suffering. Jesus knows that. And that's the exact reason why he came into this earth to bear our suffering in the first place. And we as Christians, it's not that you become a Christian and you never suffer again. It's that when you come to know Jesus, you have a peace and you have a joy and you have a freedom that's bigger than any suffering that could happen around you. But our society can't handle suffering. You can't handle suffering in this world. And so you want to know what we do? You want to know what we tend to do? And they're inclined to do. We try to protect ourselves. Well, I'm just not going to be put myself in any situations where I can get hurt. You could take it even further. I can't tell you how many adults and societies and communities try to protect themselves with money, with power and control around them. Because they think, if I have this much money, if I'm this rich, or if I live here in this place, or I have this job and I have this security, I'll never get hurt. There's a pastor named Timothy Keller in... Uh, New York, and he he has a congregation that's mixed with very rich and very poor people. And he said something really profound. He said that when it comes to the topic of suffering, he says with rich, richer people and richer civilizations, they are floored by the fact that they could possibly suffer. How could this have happened to me? Because they think that they're secure by their life. They think they're secure by their money. They think they're secure by their job. So when they suffer or when death or when something happens, they're like totally thrown for a loop. And they blame God for it. But he says with poor communities, it's funny because more often than not, they can't put their security in money like richer communities can. And so they've accepted that they're suffering in the world. So when things happen, they're more inclined to go to Jesus. And they say, you know what, I know that there's suffering around me, but I know I have a greater hope in Jesus to get me through this suffering. So isn't that funny that one person would blame God and the other one would run to God? What would you do during the sufferings of your life? Are you one to blame the Lord? Are you one to run to him during the very situations that he made you to run to him to? 
truth is that we live in this world of suffering and there's no way to escape it. So now my question to you this morning, I have three points. How do you do it then? How do you live in a world of suffering with Jesus? How do you make it? Because the truth of the matter is, all of us are going to undergo all sorts of sufferings. And how we handle those sufferings are either going to make us more like Jesus or push us away from him. Whether it's big things or whether it's the little things and how we deal with them. So I want to look at three things this morning. When you look at Joseph's story and you look at the context of the things that he went through with his brothers. The hurts and the pains and how deeply it affected him. And his brothers came to him and said, we're your slaves. If Joseph was not handling his suffering in a healthy way, he would have put him in prison or he would have murdered them. And yet instead, he says, am I in the place of God? He automatically knows, you know what? That's not my call to make, whether to judge someone. And then he says this, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I want to reread that first part. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Here's the first thing. God is the absolute master at using senseless evil for good. God is the master at using broken situations. And when we pursue him in it, he uses it to turn it completely around. That doesn't mean that God made it happen Like God made this evil happen so that good. But what it is is that when we as human beings present evil or present brokenness to him, God's the master at taking that and going, okay, I'm going to turn this into something good now. It's a beautiful thing. What Joseph recognizes, he says, you know what? That was an evil deed that you guys did selling me into slavery. But you want to know what God did with that? He used me to save many lives as one of the officials of the Pharaoh of Egypt during a major famine and saved many lives. Something that we could have never foresaw. All you saw was evil intentions and evil sin that ultimately got turned for good. You know, for my lung disorder, I actually really struggled a lot with bitterness towards God. Because I had prayed, I wanted answers from God. God, why is this happening? God, would you give me information why? I had to move home because I needed to be closer to family and friends. Then I remember thinking, I got no answer from God. First, I had to learn that God was good even though I couldn't see it. That's all a lesson that we have to learn. But now, five years later, from when that happened, it's easy to see the benefits of what happened and how God used it. First of all, I got to be the junior high pastor. That wouldn't have happened without it. Also, I would have never met my wife, Carissa. So, end of story. Um, There was some major healing that happened in my family because of it made us realize that we had to talk about some things and how we related to one another because we were going to have each other forever. And the list goes on and on and on. But you know what's funny? In the middle of me suffering during my lung disorder, I couldn't look at God and go, oh, I see, that's all going to happen. But God takes that and he says, you know, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and this out of the brokenness that's before you. And for you, you get to trust that God is turning those broken things into good things. God is the master at taking senseless evil And bringing good out of it. The second one is this. God's with us in our suffering. There is a myth that God is somehow mad at us when we suffer. And we think it's our own fault when we 
feel bad or we feel despaired or things are going wrong in our own lives. As if, if you're just perfect with the Lord, everything's going to go perfect in your life. There's no biblical evidence for that. There's such thing as favor in your life and there's such thing as God making certain situations. But you don't just see anyone just walking around and everything is just easy and there's no suffering. Look at Jesus. Jesus was the son of God. And look at his life. He had to undergo all sorts of pain and suffering. And you know what? Because Jesus went through that, he better gets you. The word says in Hebrews 4 that Jesus knows the kind of suffering you're going through in your life. He knows what it's like to be treated unjustly. He knows what it's like to be pushed away or to be persecuted. And because of that, God has more compassion on you through your own suffering. In fact, there's one verse that's in Hebrews 12, 4. It says, in your struggle against sin, he says, It says, you haven't resisted yet to the point of shedding blood, which almost feels like is a backhanded pointing to Jesus. Like, you know, and in your suffering, you think it's bad what you go through, but you didn't bleed on a cross. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer. And because of that, because Jesus suffered most of all, what the word says is by his wounds, you have been healed. Because Jesus suffered so greatly and so unjustly that he could look at each and every one of you and say, I get it. I'm with you in it. I'm not here to be mad at you. I'm not here to judge you because I was the same thing done to me times a million. Jesus understands and Jesus is with us. In fact, we serve the kind of God that wants to be with us in our suffering. And that's the very reason why he came to earth in the first place. So isn't it funny that sometimes we think our suffering or things going wrong are reasons for God to not love us when actually they're the reasons why he does. The third point, I'm going to invite the worship team back up. Suffering, suffering is temporary, but God's goodness is eternal. This is the truth of the matter. No matter what suffering you're going through in this world, even death, Even death is temporary. Our God is so big that a day is going to come where it says that he's going to redeem the heavens and the earth. I want to read this to you. What it says in Revelation 21, 3 through 4. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. This is a picture of what heaven looks like for those who trust in Jesus. It says that there will be no death, no mourning. He'll wipe away every tear. There's no suffering. Did you know that if you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's your future inheritance? That that's your future, no matter how bad this world may get? Isn't that comforting to know that no matter what happens, that's going to be the final say? We may not know when it happens, but we know that it's coming. And because of that, we get to have this hope, even through suffering, to say, you know what? It doesn't matter what happens in this world. It doesn't matter Death can't even make us. Death has lost its sting, is what the Bible says, because of what's happened in Christ. In fact, in Proverbs 31, it talks about what it means to be godly. And it says that you can laugh at the days to come, which 
I don't understand how you could do that knowing how broken our world is. The only way that you could truly laugh and find joy in the days to come is by having Jesus on your side. Look at Joseph in this story. Here is a dude who was so wronged by his brothers. And yet, let me ask you, who's comforting and reassuring who? The brothers aren't coming around Joseph going, oh, it's okay, we're so sorry for what we did. And Joseph's like, yeah, okay, sorry. I forgive you. No, Joseph's fine. He's forgiven them. And he's telling them, you are forgiven even though you caused me to suffer. And what it says in this last verse is that he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. So not only does he forgive, but he's actually the biggest advocate to them saying, hey, it's okay. Hey, walk in the fullness. How does someone like Joseph get to stand in that place after what he suffered? It's because of Jesus in his life. It's because of God in our lives that allows us to forgive and to overcome suffering even if we don't know why it happens. Who do you want to be in this story? And who do you want to be in this life? Do you want to be someone who blames God for the sin and the curse that's around us? Or do you want to be someone who draws near to God and lives in freedom and in joy no matter what happens to you because you know it's only temporary? And you know that no matter what happens, God's going to take it and use it for good. I'm going to ask that you guys close your eyes with me. We're going to go ahead and put phones and cards and Bibles away. This morning as we pray, I'm sensing that there are just certain hurts in people's lives, maybe even grudges or things that you're holding against God saying, well, this is happening in my family and I'm not going to believe in God until this gets fixed. When really... God came to be your hope and your peace and for you to live in fullness despite it. So this morning, as we pray, there's a couple things. First one is, if you're here this morning and you've never said yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the word says that when you, when you confess and believe in your heart that he's those things, that you're forgiven and you have now the ability to forgive and let go of sufferings that have hurt you. But it also says that your suffering isn't going to just be eternity. It says that your suffering is temporary because there's a heaven and an earth where there's no sin and suffering awaiting for you as a gift to you. Maybe you're here this morning and you have those hurts. You have those things that you've been holding back from God. And you say, I'm not going to believe in God until this gets fixed. And you just have to give it to him this morning. Maybe it's your family or your parents' divorce. Maybe it's, you know, something that's happening with your siblings. Maybe it's something that's happening at school. Maybe you're holding a grudge against God because you really don't have many friends. And you say, only until I get all the friends that I want will I believe in you, God. And this morning you get to say, you know what? I'm going to trust God no matter what's happening around me or to me. So Jesus, we love you so much. God, we trust you. And Lord, we thank you that you're greater than all these things. Lord, we know we live in a world with a lot of brokenness and a lot of our lives are just going to be seeing that brokenness around us, but that's nothing to be afraid of. In fact, Lord, your word says that we have a hope that transcends our, even our own lives in you. So it's in Jesus' name that we pray together and sing joyously. And everyone said, amen. Let's stand and worship.